1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person who is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Pam. Before the sermon, just a couple of words this morning. You know, first of all, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. My family has been uh, overwhelmed by your prayers and your generosity over this last week as all six of us managed to get COVID. Uh, It affected every member of my family slightly differently. And some of you have already heard me say, you know, Hannah, our youngest, um, was, you know, sick for about 23 minutes. And then she bounced right back and she was, you know, her normal busy self. But uh, other members of our family have fared differently. Uh, So, you know, the sermon that you all watched last Sunday, I recorded the previous Friday, shortly after I got, uh, did a home test and got a positive COVID diagnosis, and at that time, I was feeling fine. And I'm sure glad I recorded the sermon then, and I didn't wait, because by Friday evening and Saturday and Sunday, I was not feeling anywhere near as good. So, however, I stand before you, I'm beyond my quarantine period, I am doing quite well, uh, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful to all of you for the prayers that you offered for my family and the prayers that you've offered for so many others. Because, again, we do have a number uh, within our church community right now that do have COVID. And so grateful for all the prayers that are carrying uh, one another. I love the way that you are taking care of one another, seeing prayers and food being offered so generously. Um, I'm grateful for the amount of food you brought us. I mean, it filled our bellies and our freezer. So we're going to be eating through that for a while. Uh, And I'm very grateful to the CSBC leadership for last week. So on a dime, I contacted everybody Friday afternoon, and by Sunday, uh, they were ready for the service that you you were able to experience last Sunday. So thank you so much, uh, Jacob Napa, for the CSBC leadership, for the worship team, and for the excellent job that you all did. So uh, thank you. It was wonderful to be able to be at home, participate online, and know that things were well taken care of. But secondly, before I get to the sermon, I want to remind all of us, in light of 
this recent you know, COVID outbreak really amongst us, uh, I want to remind us not to be afraid. I want to remind you not to be afraid. You know, as Leah and I were talking, she talked about how, how dark and malicious it feels that just as we're regathering more and more, just as our women's Bible studies are seeing greater and greater success, just as the Wednesday night gatherings are growing and gaining momentum, COVID hits our church family and specifically some of these very gatherings. You know, such an occurrence might attempt us to become afraid. It might tempt us to become afraid and forego gathering together. But church, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Be wise, but do not be afraid. I mean, every activity in which you participate carries inescapably some level of risk of accident, injury, or illness, COVID or otherwise. But we know that there are important activities, there are important events, important gatherings, important people that are worth the risk. So engage them wisely using your best judgment what, to what precautions are necessary for you and your situation. But church, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. COVID is not going anywhere. For the foreseeable future, there will always be a risk that someone may contract COVID and it might be you. But for the vast majority, COVID will make you miserable, but only temporarily. So church, whatever you do from here, don't be afraid. Let's be wise, but let's not become afraid. Okay. Now on to the sermon. That was just the sermon before the sermon. It's time to get spiritual. Today we're going to get spiritual. And I know even that title, Let's Get Spiritual. Um, and, and no, hang, hang on. And, and even the neon ball and the neon words here, you know, might bring some of us of a certain age to think of a song. You know, back in 1981, Olivia Newton-John sang a song, Let's Get Physical. So some of you might remember that. And so, you know, obviously I don't want you singing that. So once I recovered from COVID this week, I was able to get into the studio and to re-record the song for today's sermon. So I have a short clip of that. So go ahead and play that. Spiritual. 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 The Bible. So you can download the whole song on iTunes and other places that you buy music. No, there's no video. You're welcome. There is no video to go along with that. Okay. It's catchy. It's catchy. Now, when you're in a conversation with someone, when you're in a conversation or approaching the Scripture, the most important thing that we can ask is, what do you mean by that? I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone and you, you talked for a while and then you realized that you, you misunderstood a certain word or a phrase and you were really just talking past each other. So the most important question that we can ask is, what do you mean by that? Because if you don't define your terms, you, you end up misunderstanding each other. And the foremost term that we want to define and understand today is spiritual. I titled the sermon, Let's Get Spiritual. We're going to hear Paul um, talk about being spiritual. We heard in the passage that Pam read for us about spiritual, the spiritual people. But what does it mean to be spiritual? Because that word spiritual has really taken on a life of itself today, hasn't it? 
You know, the, the, the phrase, I am spiritual but not religious, you've probably heard that used. In fact, you probably have two or three or five friends that call themselves spiritual but not religious. So what does that mean? Well, what does spiritual mean in today's understanding versus what spiritual means in the passage that we studied, a biblical understanding of spiritual? You know, in 2007, the Barna Research Group released a report titled, Meet the Spiritual but Not Religious. Meet the Spiritual but Not Religious. And they did research on those that would call themselves people who are spiritual but who are not religious. And this, these were their, some of their findings. To be spiritual but not religious is to possess a deeply personal and private spirituality. Religions point outside oneself to a higher power for wisdom and guidance, while a spirituality divorced from religion looks within. These spiritual but not religious display an uncommon inclination to think beyond the material and to experience the transcendent. So really, in today's parlance, spiritual means an openness to the transcendent. A quest for experience. And that quest is often in deeper self-understanding or greater levels of some kind of enlightenment. And notice what's missing from today's popular definition of spiritual is any reference at all to God. There's little to no reference to God. Spirituality is really about transcendence, about experience, about enlightenment, but not necessarily about anything divine. And so, friends, you can understand why it's so important to define our terms, because even to say, let's get spiritual, or the Bible tells us and encourages us to be spiritual, we might be tempted to think the way the world thinks about spirituality, but that is not how Scripture defines what it means to be spiritual. So, if we're going to be spiritual, we want to be spiritual the way the Scripture invites us to spirituality, not in the spirituality the way the world defines it. Now, before we get on to Paul's extended discussion, because it comes in kind of the second half of this passage, before we get to that discussion, there's a few other terms that Paul uses that are probably worth us defining. Now, first, in verse 6, the very first verse that Pam read for us, we find the word mature. The word mature. Now, we remember, Paul's writing this letter to the young church in Corinth, who's a mess. They're an absolute mess. Why? Because the thinking and the wisdom of the world have made their way into the church. And the church is thinking of things the wrong way. And so what happens is Paul redefines maturity because in the thinking of the people of Corinth, and thus in too many in the church in Corinth, maturity was about being worldly wise. Remember we've talked about those who are traveling around the sophists, those who were skilled in rhetoric and speaking, and, and they were kind of held up as the standard. Uh, they, they were knowledgeable of philosophy. They'd shown themselves to be wise in the ideas and the positions and the, of the world that day. In the eyes of others, they were the mature ones. But according to the wisdom of the world, such mature people might be those who were, um, those who were on the right side of history. Today, we might say, well, maturity are people who've outgrown, you know, for those old, archaic, regressive understandings and, and positions about God or different issues, and they've embraced the novel and progressive wisdom of the world. You know, in verse 6, when Paul talks about imparting wisdom to the mature, he's not talking about the wisdom according to the Corinthian definition, wisdom according to the world's definition today. He says, maturity 
is not like the world's definition. When I talk about maturity, this is what I mean. Maturity is to be in Christ and growing in Christ. Maturity is not about some kind of wisdom. It's about knowing Christ and growing in Him. In fact, we're going to see next week when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 starts with verse 1 and Paul writes, But I, brothers, can't address you as spiritual people, but as people in the flesh, as infants in Christ. You're infants. You're a bunch of babies where it matters. You think you're so mature according to the standards of the world. You think you're holding all of these great positions and you understand all these great things. But guess what? Where it counts, you're an infant. You're an infant in Christ. Because to really be spiritually mature, it's about Christ. You're defining things wrongly, church. You're looking at the wrong standards. You're considering the wrong things. To be truly mature is not to be mature according to the world's standards. It's about Jesus. Are you grown in Him? That's a good question for us. Am I growing in Jesus? In my knowledge of Him, my love for Him, my obedience to Him? Am I maturing in the right way? In verses 6 and 7, Paul talks about among the mature, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, though it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before ages for our glory. So Paul says the wisdom that we offer is not wisdom that's reasoned, it's wisdom that's revealed. Did you catch that? It's not wisdom that's reasoned, it's wisdom that's revealed. You know, our wisdom, the wisdom of the world, couldn't reason its way to understand God. So God revealed himself to us. It's wisdom not reasoned but revealed. And the issue Paul writes is that the wisdom of this world, it couldn't reason its way to God because this wisdom is limited and it's ultimately doomed to pass away. It's ultimately doomed to pass away. We should always be aware, you've heard me say many times, I say again, be aware of repeated words and phrases when you read a passage. And I don't know if you heard it as Pam was reading for us today, but the phrase, this age, this age, is repeated about four times. Well, three times this age, one time the ages, in verses 6, 7, and 8. There seems to be some emphasis on the ages. In Jewish thinking, All of time was divided into this age and the age to come. And right now we're going to avoid an extended teaching on what that means and what that looks like, although that would be fascinating. But I'm not going to chase that rabbit today. So suffice to say, we live in this age. And Paul's point is that the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age, they couldn't comprehend, they couldn't figure out, they couldn't reason their way to God, and they couldn't understand the gospel. So God revealed it to them. A secret and a hidden wisdom which God decreed before the ages. Do you hear that? Before the ages? So he says the rulers and the wisdom of this age couldn't figure it out because the wisdom that God gives was before the ages even began. And so the wisdom of the ages couldn't comprehend it. The wisdom of this age couldn't find God. So the wisdom from before all ages revealed was revealed to us. And again, it's all about Jesus. That's why I want us to sing this morning, You're the hymn of the ages. 
You're the hymn of all the ages. You're the hope of the world. You carried our redemption on your shoulders. You're the anthem of salvation, Jesus, Lord of Lords. And your legacy will echo through all the ages. All the ages. Jesus is the hymn and the wisdom of the ages. The wisdom of this age couldn't save us. So the wisdom of God from before the ages began and it will exist far beyond time is what was revealed to save us. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's the hymn of the ages. He's the hope of the world. Now, a couple of more words here that bear some brief definition over there in verse 7. Secret and hidden. This gets kind of exciting, doesn't it? Secret and hidden. Now, secret, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Secret is the Greek word mysterion, which is where we get our word mystery. Now, Paul is not talking about Scooby-Doo or Sherlock Holmes' Ragatha Christie mysteries. He's saying something that was hidden, that was previously unknown, up until a point was a mystery to us, but has now been revealed. And the word that's translated here as hidden is apocrypto, where we get our word apocalypse. And apocalypse means, again, something hidden that's been revealed. And throughout his letters, Paul likes to put these two words together, secret and hidden, whenever he talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's making the point, no one saw it coming. His point is, in all of our wisdom, we didn't see it coming, and when it actually was right in front of us, we still missed it. Because our wisdom couldn't comprehend it. We couldn't figure our way to it. We didn't see it coming. When it was in front of us, we rejected it. It had to be revealed to us. The gospel, the good news, was hinted at and foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament, and yet it was secret and hidden. The wisdom of this world didn't expect it. The philosophers of this world couldn't deduce it. The wise men of this world couldn't reason it out. The religious men of this world couldn't find their way to it. The only reason why you and I know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is because God revealed His secret and hidden wisdom to us. This wisdom of God, this hymn of the ages, has a name, and His name is Jesus. And Paul says the world and its rulers walk around like they're so wise. The world thinks it's so smart. And, God, and Paul says, if the world is really so smart, if they really understood, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there are the rulers of the world and the wise people of the world proclaiming themselves to be so wise and yet wisdom itself comes in front of them, and what do they do? They kill him. That's not very bright. If this world and this rulers were really wise, they wouldn't have rejected God's wisdom when it arrived. But instead of receiving Jesus, the wisdom of this world rejected him and killed him. And in verse 9, Paul proves his point, or supports his point, with Isaiah 64.4, which says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. <clears throat> Again, our imagination, our wisdom, our reason can't even begin to fathom the love of God and the goodness of the Gospel. In other words, Paul says, we had to see it to believe it. 
He, he had to reveal it to us that we would believe it. The Lord tried to tell us many times and in many ways, but it didn't make any sense to our human wisdom. The Gospel is just too good to believe. And so God had to reveal it to us. We couldn't comprehend it or even begin to comprehend it because once we started to try to comprehend it, our minds were like, this is too good to be true. And we rejected it as just foolishness. Friends, He had to reveal it to us. Jesus is the wisdom revealed to us. The Lord's salvation, eternally planned from before the ages, long hidden, now revealed, this is the Gospel. And maybe God brought you here today or caused you to log on today online and watch this because He wants to reveal Himself to you right now. Maybe He's brought you here or caused you to watch this so that you would see Him and hear Him and respond to Him. And maybe even now you're listening to this and you're tempted to say, well, this is all foolishness. In fact, maybe some of you are like, this is too good to be true. A God who came for me A God who revealed Himself, who gave Himself on the cross for my sin that I might be forgiven. A God who rose on the third day from the dead so that I could have new life. You're telling me it's not about what I have to do, but about what Christ has done for me? That seems like foolishness. It seems too good to be true. And yet, friends, here He is. Christ is here. Today, right now, inviting you and me to trust Him, to love Him, to follow Him, to be made new by Him. And what stops you from doing so? And if you'd like to know more, I would love to talk to you after the service. I would love to pray with you so that you might know this good news, which is so good, so good, it seems too good to be true. But it is. But how has the Lord revealed all this to us who believe? So then how did He convince our hardened hearts? If our minds couldn't, we couldn't wrap our minds around it, how did, how did He reveal it to us so we accepted it? Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. So here we come to Paul's discussion and a biblical definition of what it truly means to be Spiritual. This is what it means to be spiritual. Biblically, spiritual means from the Spirit of God or of the Spirit of God or by the Spirit of God. Biblically, a spiritual person is not merely somebody who's interested in the transcendent or in a particular spiritual experience. The spiritual person is one who is from, of, and filled by the Spirit of God. And Paul's point here is he goes, Do you want to be truly wise? Then you don't need the so-called wisdom of this world. Church, you have the very Spirit of God living inside you, leading you and teaching you. There's a source of wisdom. Paul writes in verse 11, For who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But Paul says, listen, you guys have access to very, the very depths of God by His Spirit. So why are you looking for wisdom in the world? Why are you consulting with the world when you have access to the very thoughts of God through the Spirit inside you? 
Do you want to be wise? He's given you His Spirit. You think you're wise because you know a little bit of rhetoric and you can spout a little bit of the philosophy of this age? You have the Spirit of God inside you. You have on tap the very thoughts of the eternal God. You have access to the God of the ages. That, that's wisdom. The Spirit of God within us makes us wise, church. Paul goes on in verses 12 and 13. Now, we've received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we might understand the things freely given by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Friends, it's the Spirit of God who enables us to understand and to accept the very things of God. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to come later on in this letter, and we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul writes, Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You're not able. You can't say Jesus is Lord. You can't. It will seem like foolishness to you. You'll reject it and go, that is the most foolish thing I've ever heard. Until the Spirit opens you up to understand it. The Holy Spirit allows us to understand, to interpret, to accept the wisdom of God who is Jesus Christ. Because if we don't have the Spirit without the Spirit, all of it appears as foolishness. Again, that's what he says in verse 14. The natural person, meaning the person without the Spirit, (coughs) does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, foolishness to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So human wisdom, the wisdom of this age, can't comprehend and accept the wisdom of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul says all of these things are spiritually discerned. So Paul says, church in Corinth, church in Camden, let's get spiritual. Truly spiritual. Meaning within and of and by the Spirit of God. Church, if you are in Christ, If you are in Christ, if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are His disciple, whether you feel it or not, you are actually a spiritual person. You are a spiritual person because the Spirit of the living God is within you, leading you, revealing to you the very mind of God. So Paul challenges the church in Corinth and he challenges the church in Camden. And he says, so why are you living and judging others in situations and decisions by the wisdom of this world? You should be judging and discerning all things according to the Spirit of God that is within you, church. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So as you go through this world to judge and to make decisions about what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's evil, the spiritual person doesn't judge according to the wisdom and the reasons and the standards of this world, but according to the Spirit of God. It reminds me of what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he writes, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, don't judge according to the wisdom of this world. Be transformed, how? By the Spirit of God who renews your mind so that you start to see differently. You look at people and things and situations of this world discerning what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Not according to the world's wisdom or the world's standards or the world's evaluation, according to the Spirit. In other words, the spiritual person is to have a different set of eyes for seeing and a different set of lenses for seeing and focusing and a different standard for evaluating and a different wisdom for living. And friends, whose eyes are they? What are these lenses? What is this standard? Paul concludes in verse 16, the Spirit leads us where? To the very mind of Christ. He quotes Isaiah 49 where he says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. We sang that this morning. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who has given counsel to the Lord? No one. There is no human wisdom that has ever instructed and given counsel to the Lord. So trust not in human wisdom. But by the Spirit, instead, church, we're given the very mind of Christ, the wisdom of God. Whether you feel it or not, because this is not about feeling or experience, we are spiritual people, church. We are to be a spiritual people filled with the very Spirit of God, led by that Spirit, taught by that Spirit, given by that Spirit, the very mind of Christ, the wisdom of God, so that we can test and discern what God's will is, His good, perfect, and pleasing will. And in the next section, we're going to find Paul go on to argue, you know, you Corinthians, you claim to be wise, you claim to be mature, you claim to be spiritual people, and yet, look at your lives. Look at your lives. There's nothing to show. Because friends, if the Spirit of the living God has taken up residence in your life, you'd imagine it would make a difference. How could the eternal, all-powerful God take up residence in our lives and not cause at least a little bit of disruption? And Paul goes, why are you looking out there for power, for wisdom? Why do you look like them? Why do you think like them? Why do you act like them? Where is the work of the Spirit? When Paul writes about the the effects of the Spirit in our life in the book of Galatians, in the letter to Galatia, in Galatians 5, 22-25, he writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit... Let's also keep in step with the Spirit. See, Paul says, the evidence of being a spiritual person is not an interest in the transcendent. It's actually really tangible. 
Spirituality is not about what you experience, but it's about what you exhibit. The mark of the spiritual person is not fanciful ideas, but fruitful lives. Church, spiritual people are spiritually led, being spiritually transformed. Verse 25 says, keep in step with the Spirit. It literally means walk behind a leader. In other words, follow the leader. And who are you following? Who are you following? Paul looked at the church in Corinth and he said, I see what leader you're following. And it's sure not the Spirit. You're following the wisdom of the world. But church, you've got the very Spirit of God in you, so why aren't you following Him? Why aren't you following the wisdom that's been given to you by God Himself? You have the mind of Christ in you, so why are you seeking to understand and to validate and to evaluate everything according to their wisdom when you have the wisdom of God? Follow the leader. Friends, what leader are you following? What leader are you following? How do you evaluate what's good and acceptable and perfect? What fruit is your life right now producing? Paul challenges the church in Corinth and he challenges the church in Camden. Let's get spiritual. And practically, how do we do that? Well, one thing that you might do every morning is begin in prayer and invite the Spirit's work. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're welcome here. In the morning, pray through your body and through your day and offer it all to God. Spirit, open my ears to God's Word through the Scripture. Spirit, open my eyes so that I might judge things and people and situations as you do to discern the very will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Spirit, incline my heart to love and to obey Christ. Spirit, guide my steps where you want to lead me. Spirit, order and schedule my interactions through this day according to your timing and your wisdom and not mine. Spirit, strengthen my hands to serve when the opportunity arises. Spirit, loosen my tongue to speak when I should speak. And Spirit, produce your fruit in and through me. Friends, being a spiritual people is about becoming a spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-transformed people. And if that happened to us, if that happened in us, wouldn't your family notice? Your friends? Your co-workers? Wouldn't it make an impact upon your family, your friends, your workplaces? And maybe this very community and world. Who are you following? Church, let's get spiritual. And let's pray. Oh, Spirit, come.